Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the UVC podcast. I'm David and joined by Andreas as usual. Today, we are welcoming Bastian Larson. Bastian is the founding partner of Blackwood Ventures, a pan-European early-stage VC fund focused on fintech, Web3, and cleantech. Blackwood has a value-creating approach that leverages AI to minimize biases and a proprietary, proprietary pan-European network of over, and pay attention to this, 1,200 angels. That's huge. Blackwood had a 10 million USD first closing in early April this year, if I have my data correctly, with a 50 million USD target. As of today, Blackwood has made investments across five countries in more or less six months or so, counting companies like Captus Trips and Finnegan AI. If you're listening in and you love our show, you know what to do. Drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting. Are you tired of only knowing what European VCs sound like? Mm-hmm. Yawn no more. Leap over to eu.vc where the episodes come alive. Now with every new episode featured in full video, high def, pristine lighting, emotions up close and men and women who pick their boogers, yeah. don't settle for eavesdropping on Europe's best investors. Join the peak show instead at eu.vc. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. So, Bastian, let's start this thing off with how you got into venture. Tell us the story. Sure. Um, so, thanks for having me on, uh, both of you. Well, I, I guess, you know, I, um, the story begins with <laughs> uh, maybe something I should mention to begin with is uh, that I grew up in a very artistic family, so very, something very different from finance. Uh, uh, you know, my my father was an artist and designer. My some of my brothers are as well, and I'm sort of the black sheep of the family that uh, that decided to go into the obscure side of the world uh, called finance. But uh, after doing finishing my studies at CBS at, in Copenhagen, I uh, started working at BlackRock in London within their alternative investment uh, department, and you know, there I was focused on sort of product strategy type of things. You know. Um, fundraising, launching new funds, etc. Then after a while in London, I got the opportunity to move to Geneva to work with the global head of alternatives, uh, got a bunch of experience and was actually ready to start my own business at that point. But again, I got the opportunity to move to New York to co-lead product strategy and um, investor relations for their M&A hedge fund. Uh, so still within alternatives, uh, I, I joined a team of 12, 13 people was the only one not from the US, not with a Harvard MBA in a way, and and learned a ton. Uh, we grew it from three to ten billion dollars within eighteen months, making it the fastest growing hedge fund in the world. And uh, I thought that uh, now was then the time to to launch my own business. And uh, given my experience within alternative investments, I had learned about you know how to set up a fund structure that makes sense, uh, how to um, provide uh, a fund. Uh, opportunity that was differentiated and that would be able to create uh, good returns 
uh, and then you sort of had an understanding of the fundraising cycle as well. So um, I, I looked at, at the VC market in Europe, I had a bunch of friends who had launched startups, uh, a bunch of uh, connections within the VC space, and always saw myself, you know, working with young entrepreneurs um, and, and sort of fostering the, the innovation rate in Europe as well. Uh, simultaneously, I saw that, you know, more and more money was coming in from the US and Asia to Europe. Uh, it seemed that the valuations in those other regions were getting a little bit out of control. So I thought there would be something to do uh, within the pan-European market. So I decided to quit my job at BlackRock, did my MBA at Oxford, uh, wrote a book dedicated to uh, the younger generation of entrepreneurs and also launched Blackwood simultaneously. Um, and I think the whole idea was to, you know, really build something that was unique, something that was much needed in the market and in the European VC market. And that was, you know, one, a lot of VCs invest in tech, but they don't necessarily use tech internally. And the other thing uh, primarily for me was the fact that there's a bunch of angel investors in Europe, uh, but uh, a lot of these um, resources are sort of undervalued and underutilized within the VC market. So I thought I'd change that. Very cool, Bastian. And I will want to deep dive on that because I was actually having a really interesting chat uh, earlier, uh, actually yesterday night with one of one of the GPs that we love about, about working with Angel and collaborating with Angel. And she did share some cool data with me. But before we go there, um, you know, just to, to keep things as usual as our loyal listeners will know, share with us a pivotal moment. It's an interesting one and it's quite uncommon compared to what we've heard in the past. Sure, yeah. I mean, again, uh, I think, you know, there's been a, quite a few pivotal moments in general, but one that really stuck with me and, and, and something that I can relate to the world of venture capital as well is, you know, I grew up in a bunch of different countries. I've lived in 10 countries. Um, again, through this hardest upbringing, uh, you know, my family didn't really have need to be in one place. And so uh, we moved quite a lot. I got to live in Australia for half a year, Greece for half a year, and even Greenland for half a year, uh, the North Pole. And so uh, while I was there as a, as a young teenager, uh, you know, I was helping my, my, my father to teach fishermen uh, how to paint as a way of sort of helping them become more happy and therefore more productive. And, and you know, we were working with these ex-prisoners, ex-convicts who, who, who were working there. And I remember one of them had sort of a, a severe drug addiction and, um, you know, seemed sort of helpless. And the fact that he learned how to paint um, you know, it really gave him another motivation in life because he, it turned out that he was really great at this. Uh, and so he focused most of his attention on the painting and less so on the, on the drugs and the misuse. Uh, and I really, you know, we saw that change his life entirely. And I think, um, you know, what it brought to me even as a, as, a, as a teenager was the fact that one small positive impact can really change the whole trajectory of your life, you know. And, and I think that's very important uh, for all of us, uh, not just in DC, but just as for us as human beings, is the fact that uh, if you have the right resources or the right influence, you can really do something great in life. And it all starts by that little push, and then it has to obviously be followed up by constant action uh, and and habits, right? And I think uh, I took that away at, at a young age, and I, that's why I wanted to start my own business, right? It was. Uh, to create an impact and to do something that was that was positive and i think venture capital just you know is, is the perfect area for that as you foster 
innovation. You're supporting the next generation of great founders. And at the same time, with a little bit of guidance and a little bit of um, positive knowledge, I think you can go a very, very long way. Now, Bastian, let's go to the Take a Stand section. Take a Stand. And I'd love to ask you, Bastian, to comment on this quote, which is, there's too few European growth stage funds in Europe. Uh, sure. I mean, it's it's a relevant statement. You know, it's true that within the European venture capital market, especially at the growth stage, you know, it has been lacking a little bit behind the US. And I, I do believe that in recent years, we've seen sort of a reduction, you know, in, in terms of minimizing that gap. And, and, and there has been a few more growth stage funds in Europe. Uh, and also increased interest from international investors in the region, which is something that I mentioned earlier on. And um, I think that is also why we see in general that, you know, when European uh, startups start to go well, well, what do they do? We've seen it time and time again. They decide to move to the U.S. specifically for that reason, right, to continue to fuel the growth. And also because the IPO market there is perhaps a little bit uh, more receptive uh, in general. Now, I think, you know, this needs to be contrasted as well with the current market we're in. You know, the, the, the funds and in general, the market has been uh, the hardest on those that have been very close to, to the IPO stage. Um, you know, IPOs have you know, dropped off a little bit in, in recent times and uh, therefore growth stage funds and startups that have been in the latest stages pre-IPO have suffered massively. So, you know, I think now would be a great time to launch even more growth stage funds as well, given that the valuations are quite low in the market. And um, and I think the vintage year of, of 2023 and 2024 uh, will be great for that. So I think while it has been lagging behind, I think now is a great opportunity for people to really go into uh, go into that um, and and do more in that space. You know, I think it's for, for the attentive listener, there's, there's something interesting for us in talking with you. You know, you work a lot with angels, so do we. Uh, that's kind of a big part of what we do in terms of investing. We are angels ourselves. And uh, I, I was, um, as I hinted before, I was chatting with, with, with a GP friend of ours. Uh, she attended a, an event yesterday uh, that shared some report and some data, uh, shared a report and some data on on angel investing. And uh, if I remember, like the numbers were something like eighty percent of angel investors do one deal only. That's it. More than half of of angel investors are are um, are founders in Europe. Uh, are founders former founders, and that the, the the true challenge is is to get is to get angels and high net worth, generally speaking, to to do more than one deal. And to think of portfolio instead of 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 one one shot successes, right? But your whole model is very much connected to working with high net worths, working with angels, co-investing with them, which is incredibly hard to do. I think many talked about it. Few succeed. So I'd love to ask you, you know, do share do share a bit the struggles. Um, what what have been the the main hurdles in building uh, back with the way the way you've uh, you've decided to, and how have you gone around it? Sure. No, great question. I think it's very relevant as well. Um, so, you know, actually, we were lucky enough to get, you know, backing from some uh, high net worth individuals ourselves. You know, we launched Blackwood sort of as a startup where we said, listen, we have this idea to create a really unique uh, venture fund, uh, but it will take two years to get there. Um, so, um, you know, we needed you know cash and resources for, for two years in order to build exactly 
you know, the tools and the networks and everything that we needed to have before launching our fund. And I think that's a very unique opportunity in a very rare case to have that opportunity to spend two years on, on building everything you need, right? Uh, and so, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, I think one was leveraging technology within our processes. I can talk perhaps more about that later. But on the angel side, we thought, you know, having good access to all of these bright minds and, and people with capital is something that we can leverage during our due diligence uh, and also something that they might benefit from, right? Because we probably screen a lot more startups uh, and maybe in a, in a different way than they would. Um, and so I just thought the synergies were great. And so where we started out, um, you know, we also, you know, are partners with a bunch of, uh, you know, nearly all angel networks in Europe, I think, by now. Uh, so we have access to a lot more than 1,200. The, the 1,200 angels that we have on our platform are, are purely, you know, our own relationships uh, that we've built up. And so, you know, scaling that was interesting, right? Uh, most angel networks charge a, a fee to be part of it. Uh, and we thought, you know, we don't necessarily want to make money on that. We just want access. So you know, we can make money in other ways and they can you know, benefit in other ways. So we decided to make it free to get in uh, and, and, you know, we can charge in other ways, you know, when they co-invest, but making it free and then, you know, talking about our mission helped tremendously. And at one point we were getting 300 new angels onboarded every single month. Now, the thing is, there's a power in the numbers, but at the same time, it's all about the relationships that you have. Uh, and so for us, you know, what we decided to do, I think it was around eight months ago, was to say we're going to stop the growth of the angel network and really focus on nurturing those relationships. And so, um, you know, in order to do this correctly, you also need more resources, which we were fortunate enough to to have, right? So we have two people uh, working full-time and, and, you know, a big part of the job is essentially just, uh, you know, building relationships with these angels. Um, you know, when they sign up, they provide information about, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're, they upload their LinkedIn, so that is scraped as well. We have a good idea of what they've done in the past when there is sector expertise. They provide more information in terms of, you know, what they're really focused on and their know-how. And at the same time, they give information on how many deals they've made in the past and what their average potential ticket size typically is. And I, you know, I'm happy to say that on the 1,200, I think the average ticket size um, is around 70,000 euros. Is that self-reported as of now, or do you already have like some deal-making data that you can compare, like what what's self-reported and what's actual? And the reason I ask is twofold: one, with the angels we work with, we have a similar process. We ask how much are you willing to commit, and then over time we see how much they commit, and it's obviously always slightly different. But also, uh, last time I looked at it, the average angel ticket in Europe was ten or fifteen k or so yeah. for deal. So seventy is very high, right? Yes. Exactly. Obviously, that's driven by outliers. I would say the median is 25 around there. Uh, so I think the median is much more relevant to look at than the, than the average. So 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 good point. But uh, I would say you know we've categorized this group of angels into different, um, uh, I guess, uh, yeah, sub sector, yeah, sub sub <laughs> yeah. categories. Um, and I think obviously out of 1,200, we probably have a really good understanding and relationship with 50 to 70 of them. Uh, and, and, you know, we know exactly what they're capable of and, and know the networks. But, you know, we still think it's important to have the longer tail. And so we might open up again for, you know, and, and push to get a, a bigger angel network just because, um, you know, during our due diligence, we can use that as well, right? And so whenever we look at a CO2-specific startup somewhere in Europe, we can filter through our network and find 10 relevant specialists to speak to. 
And the reason that they signed up is specifically to get access to these types of startups. So their willingness to help us, you know, uh, look at the technology, for example, or the business side of things is extremely high. Uh, and so that really provides us invaluable feedback. Uh, and in terms of a specific uh, number or, or deal, you know, we recently invested in a, in a fintech in France. I could talk about that in a lot of detail, uh, but what we decided to do is the technology in itself was perhaps less revolutionary than than, than some other things, but uh, it was much you know the, the main thing was about getting the product to market uh, in as quick a fashion as possible to then increase the odds of getting acquired in the future. And I think you know the, in that specific case, it was very important for us to onboard a couple of angels from our networks that could help with selling the product and also provide guidance as they roll out uh, the product across borders. Uh, and so we found two specific angels. Uh, one was an ESG specialist with a PhD, uh, and the other one was a partner of a very large law firm in Switzerland uh, that had expertise to sort of roll out this type of product internationally. Um, and so I think that that's really the perfect mix of a win-win-win for the startup, for the angels, and for us uh, as a VC as well. And I think that's that's really summarizes the the unique aspect of our model yeah yeah so at the end of the day you're leveraging the network for dding and you're and you're inviting them in to co-invest in first ticket right whenever it's relevant yeah exactly yeah, yeah. but you're handpicking you're handpicking profiles right yeah yeah that's the that's the ideal scenario um but i think you know in some cases you know, there might be startups that um in future rounds primarily need cash rather than ex you know more expertise and i think having access and the ability to offer more broadly to all the angels in our network the ability to to inject cash is also something that shouldn't be you know undermined it's something that might de-risk the investment for from our perspective and, and other investors in, in previous rounds Bastien, can i ask you a bit more on the the 1200 number so we've gone through the journey of having i think we got to just just shy of a thousand members and then we said wait a second, doesn't make sense to have this many. Uh, also because it's it's proprietary information that we need to be able to talk about and that type of thing. Um, so for that reason, you know, we, we set up some barriers, not monetization. We didn't want it to be that, but but we then implemented that you had to commit to, to you know, we have a pledge that you have to sign. Uh, and, and that one says that you must commit to one deal per year. And of course, ORP, very active uh, or considered very active by David and Andreas. And as such, of course, the, if you have good reason to not invest for in, in any given year, fair enough. Um, but we are doing, you know, enough deals and, and across Europe and across verticals. So you, we're kind of, it should should be be uh, doable <laughs> or should there should be something matching most people, right? Um, and that's kind of how we have then gone from, from 1,000 down to, to 300-ish of which a subsegment has invested. And I guess I can also say that we're around 120 or so that have invested with us out of that group, right? How do you take that 1,200 and divide that into and what, what's the barrier to be amongst those 1,200? Yeah, uh, good question. It's something that we um, that we are actually starting to implement as well. So I think I, I think maybe that's the magic number around a thousand. It's something you start to think about, <laughs> and uh, you know, on, on you know, we're also working on developing a specific platform um, that will also help with enabling secondaries and things of that nature for the angels in our network, which is quite exciting. Um, and so we we we're still in the process of exactly 
deciding what to do. So it's too early to say, uh, Andreas. But um, there is the, there's the pledge that is uh, that is I think step one. But then there is also monetization to um, really take a person from a pledge to a committed potential investor. Um, in general, again, I think there is an advantage to having it free in the beginning, uh, just so you get access to as many people as possible. It's all then about having the resources internally to get to know them. Uh, and so I would much rather prefer to go that route uh, and scaling it up. You know, I think there's 350,000 angels in Europe. Um, we think we can take a pretty big, you know, part of that market uh, and then, you know, scale up the relationship management team as we grow uh, on that front. And, you know, the the, the results on and the impact that we'll have on the IRRs of our future funds and this fund um, is obviously hard to measure, but I'm very sh- confident in the fact that it will be worth, well worth the investment. Um, so we're taking a bold view in that sense, but um, but we're very strong believers in it. Can you share a bit on um, because you have a bull on your team who's 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 head of platform and does a lot of community development? Can you can you shed a bit of light on how you work with that twelve hundred people group um, to keep them engaged and and what you've seen work and what you've seen doesn't work? So what we're seeing to work is taking a much more personalized approach. You know, we do host events, um, you know, once in a while uh, throughout Europe where the clusters of, you know, our, our angel group are based. Um, so I think that's part of it as well. It, it's actually having physical meetups. But, but you know, what hasn't worked is, is just making, making it very uh, unpersonal. That's the mistake that most people make. They, they, they blast something out and then that's where you don't get a lot of, out of it. And so I think actually making that filtering process and, uh, you know, focusing on the people with expertise in that subject area, you know, that's where it helps us. It's where it helps the startups. And ultimately it's what will make the angels in our network invest. So I think, you know, knowing as much as possible about each and every single angel is is really critical. Uh, and so we do a lot of work on that side of things in general. And, and I think, you know, given that we're sort of a, we're not a complete generalist fund, right? Uh, we do have some focus areas being FinTech, Web3, and CleanTech. Um, and so we, we focus on gathering you know, angels that have an interest within one of those specific sectors and that have their relevant knowledge as well. And so whenever we focus on a deal within one of those, that cuts our angel network by, by a third, but at the same time, they're much more highly specialized. Um, and so I think that's how we approach it. Bastian, it's now time for the shout-out segment. I'd love to ask you to give a shout out to a co-investor, an angel, and that would be interesting, or an LP for being awesome, and if possible, share the story behind that awesomeness. Yes, um, I think I would like to focus on an LP that's also one of the earlier backers of Blackwood. Um, so his name is uh, Jacob Kjellgaard. He you know, has run a multifamily office uh, of over 2 billion euros in, in Luxembourg, and he's been managing the wealth of, you know, some of the most high net worth individuals in the Nordics for over 35 years. Um, you know, I used to work for him actually in Luxembourg uh, over 10 years ago. And then after a while, after he tried to get me on board and me saying no, uh, because I had all the opportunities at Blackrock, you know, he was really the first guy I called whenever uh, I decided to set up Blackwood uh, and telling him about this crazy idea to build something truly unique. Uh, and that it would take a little while, um, and so um, he was. She was. He was just in from the beginning. He had seen me earlier 
he'd seen my trajectory and he really believed in what I was going to build. Uh, and so the fact that he trusted, you know, to invest very early on uh, was was a huge support. Um, and then, you know, giving his network, you know, I could focus on actually doing the work and doing all the nerdy things in my corner. And then uh, I was hoping that he would make a few introductions uh, later on, right when we started fundraising for, for our first fund. And that is exactly what has happened. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's the reason why we were able to raise $10 million in four months uh, earlier this year, you know, in this crazy hard fundraising environment, um, is that, you know, we had spent the years and the time to build something truly unique. Uh, and also because we had the, the network um, and, you know, him having managed a lot of money for a lot of people over a long period of time, the fact that he trusted us to also invest a pretty large amount into our fund from day one was obviously a, a big seal of approval. Now, Bastian, let's dive into your three biggest learnings over the last 10 years of your life. And you're pretty young, so I guess what, last 10 years, did that guess that get us down to like 20 or so? Uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, around there. Um, I think, you know, and it's, it's, it's actually something, you know, again, I've written a book about going from something, a very unstructured environment <laughs> growing up to perhaps the most structured environment in an M&A hedge fund in New York. With my boss having uh, used to be, uh, he used to be a nuclear engineer on a, on a submarine in the Navy, right? So I think uh, it's something that I've thought a lot about, uh, about the learnings that I've had and what can potentially help others in the space. And I think the first thing is really, you know, staying curious, uh, you know, embracing, in my case, curiosity around finance, you know, venture capital, but also more creative aspects in life, you know, art, in my case, music, um, uh, you know, I just, had a kid recently with uh, with a musician here in Denmark who's uh, been quite successful. And I think, you know, it's just the more you're curious and um, interested about different areas in life, the more connections your brain is going to make automatically. And, and, and therefore, um, when you make investments in VC, you'll have a much easier time trying to predict the future in a way. Uh, the second thing I'd say is uh, building, I guess, meanif- meaningful relationships. Uh, that comes straight back to uh, the shout out I just made, right? This is a person that I worked for over 10 years ago. Uh, I really gave it my all. And, and whenever I had the opportunity to build my own company, he was really there to provide support from day one. And I think, you know, I, you, you can't really underestimate the power of having those great relationships and building them, you know, even from the age of 19 or 20. And, and they will really snowball over time. Uh, so that's something I think is important. And then uh, for me, you know, I've learned as well the, the importance of, I guess, leadership and, um, you know, being able to build a team even internally here at Blackwood. We're a pretty large team compared to, um, you know, the, the, the size of our VC fund thus far. But I, I think it's important to be able to align people on a common goal and a common vision because, you know, that is ultimately what, what will deliver success as well. Awesome, Bastian. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I think that must have been an interesting um experience and and i I'm, i i might read your book <laughs> let's put it like that i think it might be an interesting it might be an interesting read I, I, it's funny i was i was just in the in heilbronn where they built the uh, api the, the the new ai center that's that's predicted to you know become the largest one in europe uh, it's funded by the founder of lidl and i was invited by 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 him and, and the group there to to see api um last week um and uh, you know i was there with a bunch of other vcs and, and entrepreneurs uh, and uh, I have to say, I was surprised by the fact that other, uh, you know, some of the largest VCs in the world 
I decided to buy my book as well. So it's something I hadn't talked about too much. You know, yeah. it's always a little bit intimidating marketing your own book, but, uh, but, yeah. but they, they, they were happy about it. So yeah, no, no. I come from the opposite background. So my family are all scientists, right? And so mm. I'm, I'm the black sheep in the opposite direction because it's much less structured, right? So <laughs> it's funny. It's funny to compare the complete opposites. Like it's like mirroring each other. And I also wrote a book, but it's for children and I'm not ashamed of marketing at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, oh I would love to hear more about that. It's being translated in a bunch of languages. So I'll, I'll share it cool. when, when we have the, uh, the Danish yeah. version. We do have a Danish translation. though. That would be <laughs> very gonna cool. Be, yeah. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Uh, Bastian, uh, let's move into the, into the quick fire round. Uh, and this is the bit where we ask you quick answer questions. <laughs> and now, the quick fire round. Quick fire round. What advice would you give your 10 year younger self? Sure. Uh, I think that comes back to, to some of the things I just said, you know, really stay curious and, and build strong relationships um, in general. Um, if you surround yourself with a diverse network of mentors and, and, and friends that can offer guidance and valuable insights, I think uh, you're going to see a lot of professional growth. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are now fundraising? Mm-hmm. Well, we're sort of in that bucket. So, uh, you know, we've learned a lot. Uh, I think, you know, one is really define a compelling investment thesis that, that truly makes you stand out. Uh, you know, with I think the, 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 the rate of new VCs is obviously slowing since compared to last year and the year prior, but uh, there's still uh, a bunch of new VCs popping up. And I think without a unique approach, it'll be very tough to, to fundraise. Um, and then don't be afraid to leverage network. If, if you really you know, believe that this is your baby and this is the project that you're going to work on for the next you know, the, the, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years of your life, um, then you shouldn't be afraid to ask uh, people in the network for help. What's the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you've been in venture? Mm, good question. Actually, that, that it, 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 you know, I thought it was... Um, going to be much more art um, which is why I assumed that um, you know BC funds didn't use technology internally uh, but I've seen that there is actually a little bit of science behind it as well so the more we research and the more we build out our own internal tech and our own AI systems to help not just with sourcing but screening I thought that there are some you know there's I saw that there's some common denominators uh, and some very heavy predictors of success and so the fact that it is perhaps maybe slightly tilted towards science than art is, is a little bit surprising to me. All right, everyone. If you enjoyed this episode of the UVC podcast, do drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. And if you're an angel, go consider joining the Blackwood gang. Thank you, Andres. Thank you, David. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.